On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. You're listening to Tall Can Audio, Canada's number one craft beer-fueled sports show. I will give you a show like you have never, ever seen before. Why? Because I can. Here's your host. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Matt Robinson. What's happening, everybody? Welcome inside an all-new episode of the Tall Can Audio Podcast. My name is Matt Robinson, with you from our studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. We're on social media, at Tall Can Audio. You can give us a follow there and make sure you are subscribed wherever you're listening right now. Got a new voice for you today, a new guest. Uh, he's been good enough to have me on his show a couple times, which I'll, uh, I'll let him uh, tell you all about here in a minute. But uh, normally during a fight week... Uh, you know, we typically have a, a fight panel, but it's kind of a crazy time of year and, and neither Creech or Bunda were, uh, were available and reached out for a little help to Kyle Skinner from the uh, Dine Sports podcast. And he was good enough to agree to, uh, to jump in and no doubt he'll do a good job filling their shoes. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well. I've got big shoes to fill though. So uh, a little intimidated coming in here, but I'll try not to uh, embarrass myself too much tonight. Appreciate you having me on. It's hard to do on this show. It's uh, (laughs) You don't have a high bar to clear, Liari. Yeah, we'll see if I can trip my way over it. Exactly, man. So um, yeah, I do appreciate you making some time. Um, You know where we start and I asked you already, so you're not having a pint, but you are having a little scotch. Uh, Do you have a a, a brand you recommend or a favorite type there that you're sipping on? I am rocking the Macallan 12-year-old cask barreled age, double cask actually. So it's a personal favorite of mine. And uh, yeah, I know it's a Tolkien audio podcast that you've got going on, but it's just one of those days where a beer will not quite do. So I had to go with something a little bit heavier tonight. I get it. I do. Uh, and there have been a time or two, I'll come clean here to the audience that, you know, sometimes you come in and maybe you just when I'm supposed to be cracking a beer, I'm, I'm cracking a Pepsi, pouring it into a, a, a little rum and then just telling you about a beer I tried the other day or something. doesn't happen often, but, but those days do arise. Uh, uh, you never know. Your blood sugar could be a little bit low there. Need a little sure. kick of Pepsi to get you going. So. A little boost before I come talk to the good people. So, um, I do have a pint tonight though. I'm doing the, uh, the need a beer advent calendar. So, uh, this is day eight and, uh, people have been following along on, uh, or should be following along. I, I can't say they all are. You sh- people should be. We're on. Uh, we're we're posting the beers on our Instagram page at Tall Can Audio. This is from the uh, Junction Craft Brewery down in Toronto, and uh, this is a new pint. I've never had this one, and um, it's called uh, the Dark Check Lager. So I'm interested to see what that's all about. Uh, I don't know that I know the difference between a Czech Lager and any other Lager, and uh, certainly the fact that it says here it's going to be uh, toasty. And a, a dark brown color. I'm intrigued by that. So that's what I'll be riding with for this one. Um, there you go. Check you... logger. That's usually when your king is in danger of something, right? <laughs> I think so. Yes. Um, all right. <laughs> we'll let that slide. That's Off to a flying start here already. <laughs> for sure, man. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about Dine Sports and the podcast and the website and, uh, you know, sort of your background and what you got going on there, man? Because you've been good enough to have me on your show a couple times. One time we were talking Leafs, one time we were talking fights. Uh, it's a pretty good show you got going on. Tell the good people all about it. Yeah. So I, much like yourself, like to record myself while doing my sports rants as well, too. So uh, we've got the Dine Sports podcast available everywhere that you can find podcasts. Wherever you're listening to this from, you can probably find us. 
Also got two other shows that are on our network. We've got the Dynasty League podcast. So for those who enjoy fantasy football, you can check that out as well, too. And the Front Office podcast. So I have nothing to do with that one. I just post it on our uh, network, if you will. So if you get tired of hearing my voice, you can always switch over to that one. But all three of them, they're all sports focused. All of them, you can check them out at dinespressbox.com. And if you're more of an article person, you can check out a few sports articles, videos and stuff like that while you're there. And uh, we'll make sure to share those links in the uh, show notes here, which will go up at uh, atallcanaudio.com. How long you been? Uh, how long you been running the site and the, the podcasts? Well, so Dine Sports, with the company itself, was actually formed in 2015. But the podcast and the digital media side of things came about as a pandemic-induced hobby because when <laughs> you run sports leagues and you can't physically get on a rink or ball diamond or whatever it is for like a year and a half, you got to fill the days with something. Right. So born out of necessity, you could say. So, so pretty new. Okay. I like that. Um, and so, like I said, one of the things you had me on to, uh, to talk about recently was I think the last card, but I don't remember actually if it was 267 or 268, they were only a week apart. Um, and, uh, 268 that you were on there for, I think that's correct. And, uh, so this weekend we have the next big one. There's been a couple fight nights, but, uh, on Saturday night at 10 o'clock from Las Vegas, UFC 269 goes uh, a couple interesting main events and some interesting looking stuff on the undercard as well. Um, how long have you been? Uh, I'm always curious. I like to ask people about, you know, the, the, the UFC thing, it's still, it's certainly bigger than it ever used to be, but it's still kind of niche. And so I'm always curious how people ended up getting into you know, MMA and, and becoming a fan. Yeah, I would say I started watching actively probably around when the original ultimate fighter started. Oh, so, okay. you know, you've got uh, Forrest Griffin going in there and having the all time slug fest to end up winning it all him and Stefan Bonner. So yeah. that was when I really started paying attention to what was going on. I might've watched the odd card here or there. I do remember, I have no idea how old I would have been, but it was pretty young, like way too young to have been watching it. It was like, <laughs> probably UFC one or two or three, but it was whichever one they got the guy in the, uh, the crucifix position and just absolutely started dropping elbows. Oh, like back, yeah. back before rules really started getting enforced. <laughs> I remember walking into a room and seeing that, uh, when my dad and uncles were watching it way, way back in the day. So that was my first exposure to it. But, uh, yeah, I've been following along probably since the original ultimate fighter season one kind of kicked off there. Yeah. I remember in, you know, maybe in high school for me, kind of grade 10, and maybe a buddy of mine had this tape and it was like, you know, it was hard to find, right? It was hard to get. And like you said, it's one of the very first UFCs and it's still super savage, right? Like it, it's, it doesn't look anything like it does now, but uh, it was probably for me around like 05. Um, and so not that different than, uh, I think that's right around the time, maybe a little bit uh, before the, um, the original Ultimate Fighter came on Spike TV. And just, I had a bunch of buddies who were into it in college, and this was around the time, you know, George St. Pierre is on the come up, and Brock Lesnar is kind of starting to do his thing, and so they're getting these names, and here in Canada, George is getting all this attention, so it was sort of starting to come through at that point, and then, yeah, this, man, that ultimate fighter, those first couple seasons were, you know, maybe the smartest thing the UFC ever did, right, to be able to have a reality show on just normal cable television, and show these guys at the time that reality TV is exploding as well and have the UFC as the backdrop. And man, it, it, I, more and more people like yourself, I hear all the time say, no, it was the ultimate fighter. Like it's an easy way to get people hooked on normal television. They're not buying pay-per-views, but you learn what the sport is and you follow the personalities. Man, what a brilliant stroke by those guys. Yeah, well, that's just it, right? Like, if you're not owning uh, all sorts of disposable income or know how to order pay-per-views or going out to bars, your legal drinking age or whatever, where they're actually showing these fights, like, how, how were you accessing them before? Right. It was like bootleg cassettes that you're buying off, like, <laughs> underground shady people and whatnot. But, I mean, yeah, I, I remember the, the elbow drops. I remember the whatever fight it was where the one guy came out with one boxing glove on for absolutely no reason one bare knuckle one one boxing club oh my god i remember the giant mismatch of like it was a 400 and some odd pound guy against probably like a 170 pound jujitsu guy and he yeah. ended, the little guy ended up winning but yeah it was a sumo wrestler versus one of the gracies and he just took him apart in no time like yeah yeah the, the one that sticks out the most to me and it's kind of hard to find and i found the video last year on youtube but i think they took it down but uh, there's two no-name guys i think it was on the same card as the uh the, that sumo wrestler one so one of the really earthy ones but again pre-rules and it was he somehow got him into like 
half guard, full guard, some weird position, but then was just dropping hammer fists on the guy's <laughs> groin. And there were no illegal strikes. So he made the guy tap out via yeah. groin strikes. And that was how he won the game. <laughs> I'd do it. I'd tap out, man. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't take too many of those before I'm slamming the canvas there. Yeah. So as we sit here now, about 267 pay-per-views later, uh, <laughs> the, the sport doesn't look anything like uh, no. that anymore. Um, great. You know, it's it's become this major international property. Looks great on TV. All this stuff. We're heading into UFC 269. A couple of really good title fights on top, and and we'll get to those in just a second. But as we look at kind of the main card there. What maybe outside of the two title fights, which one, maybe which fight do you kind of have your eye on or which one maybe looks the most interesting to you? To me, anytime Sean O'Malley is involved mm -hmm. in a card, I, I like those. Because uh, the last time we saw him out, who, who was it that took the fight on like less than two days notice? It was yeah. the green-haired guy that yes. ended up just so almost winning the fight at the end, but his face was just absolutely battered like he ate it for 90 percent of the fight but then clipped o'malley late and <laughs> kind of staggered him but i mean o'malley is i guess you could kind of call him like a watered down version of mcgregor he kind of tries to steal that spiel a little bit there and make a a, a lot of pre-fight proclamations show around the show but to his credit he, he does by and large back it up in the ring right like right. he's 14 and one two-fight win streak since he lost to Vera, so he seems to be piecing it back together again. Uh, like, he's not ranked right now at bantamweight, but taking on Pavia, and, I mean, he could start cracking that top 15, maybe top 10 if he strings a couple of wins together. So do I think he'll ever get there to title contention? I don't know. He's got some weaknesses to his game, but... He's definitely an exciting fighter. He's not a lay and pray, you know, push you up against the cage and just establish control in the octagon type guy who's going to leave it in the judges' scorecards. He's going to be busy in there. So I, I think that's a great way for them to kick off this card with it being the first fight of the pay-per-view. Yeah, well, and the other really interesting thing there for me is that there are, like, ranked fighters on the undercard and he's not yet one of them. And, and I think Pavia is, is maybe sitting at 14. I can't remember. He's maybe not even ranked yet, but he's kind of right there around the limit. And they put this one on the pay-per-view despite there being higher ranked guys on the, uh, on the prelims, because they, they certainly see exactly what you're saying, that this guy is a star, right? He's got personality. Um, I'm not sure either where his ceiling is going to end up being and, and you know, whether he becomes a, a title contender or not, but he's got a following and he's got a good social media presence. People are engaged with him, and, um, yeah, he's just an interesting guy, an interesting fighter. And I think the UFC, you know, as they're trying to sell as many of these, uh, pay-per-views as they can kind of looked at him and said, there maybe are a couple of guys better than him right now, but I'm not sure they're going to sell any extra fights, which maybe he will sell a couple more, right? Maybe the star power ceiling is a little higher for O'Malley. And so, yeah, I, I think this is an interesting matchup as well. Um, but I think as much as anything else, when you look at how the card is set up and again, very first fight on the, uh, the pay-per-view portion, get that crowd fired up, get people tuned in right away um, with a little star power right off the hop. Yeah, and I think that's something that the UFC has gotten way better at over the years is they realize that, all right, maybe it's not the smartest thing in the world to, all right, we'll, we'll get a couple of Brazilian, you know, jiu-jitsu black belts out there to start the uh, pay-per-view and it turns into a grapple fest and they're, they're both so dominant that they can put each other in holds, but the other one knows how to escape it right away and so it just goes the full distance and everyone's falling asleep in their seats. Yeah. They slowly move to whether it's a named person who, who cares if he's ranked or not, he's going to be busy in the ring or let's just get two heavyweights to yep. kick off the main card where you're pretty much guaranteed is not going to go three full rounds there and someone's getting knocked out. No, you're right. And I can't remember who was now specific, but at 268, I was surprised by who came out first, right? They put a couple names on right at the very beginning uh, of the pay-per-view and got everybody fired up. Um, and it, I don't know if you were ever a pro wrestling guy or not, but it, it looks very much like that to me where the first match on a pro wrestling is going to be the two little Mexican guys like Rey Mysterio or something like that. And the crowd's going to get fired up. You're going to have a ton of action. They're going to be moving around fast, get everybody engaged and, um, you know, really fire it up with something exciting right off the hop. So I think that's uh, something the UFC is obviously you're never going to put one of your main events on first, but maybe instead of building 
you know, to slightly bigger name, slightly bigger name, slightly as the as it goes. Maybe you put a big name on first and and really get the crowd engaged. So it's interesting to see um, how that one's going to shake loose. I think um, O'Malley is a guy who he's not afraid to kind of stand in there and fight. So I think there'll be some action in this one. I assume he's going to win this one. Does you feel the same way or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a minus 305 favorite right now, and uh, I think he's probably going to get it done. But, I mean, to your point there as well, too, what they've also shifted as well in their formatting of these cards is back in the day, it would be. We're only putting all the named people on the pay-per-views, right? The the undercard is where you need to earn your bones and prove that you belong here and blah, blah, blah. Right. But what they've slowly learned is, well, if your undercard that's free, that's supposed to be driving eyeballs to this pay-per-view and last-minute buys, Mm -hmm. is an absolute snooze fest, (laughs) right? You're you're actually hurting your bottom line. That's that's why you see on the undercard, like Josh Emmett is fighting, Dominic Cruz is fighting on the undercard. Like These are guys who are used to being on pay-per-views, and they've got them slated as the last two fights on the free version, hoping that there's going to be some fireworks in the ring that you end up buying that paper. Yeah, at the last second, you're like, oh, I got to see this, right? Like, yeah. I'm in, I'm in. Yeah, but yeah, I, I agree. I think Sean O'Malley is going to take care of business in the first one there, but I, I'm excited to see how it finishes because you never really know what you're going to get with him because just like in his last fight, right, he looked like he was just dominating it. I think he significant striked his opponent like by almost 200 more shots landed like he'd turned him into ground beef at one point but then he got a little cocky and he got caught and suddenly uh, back from the dead like (laughs) he almost ended up losing so you never know what you're going to get with him no I agree with that completely I'll tell you one that maybe is flying a little under the radar but has my attention is Kai Cara France versus uh, Cody Garbrandt and Mm -hmm. before you even get into what the fight's going to look like the fact that um, Garbrandt is coming down to 125 is yeah. that's a big cut for him. And I'm interested, you know, just in the sense that like he's three of his last five fights, he's been knocked out and now you're going to further dehydrate yourself. Like, I wonder if this is a really good idea for him um, just in terms of where it's going to land. But but that division is really hurting for stars and, and for names, right? Like Mourinho can't keep fighting um, Figueredo. Like those are really the only two names or stars they have at 125. And so if he can come down, if he can make that cut and then win this fight, it probably does pretty quickly, um, based on his name and based on how thin that division is, move him right into the top five there and maybe right in position for a title fight at 125, um, maybe quicker than he was going to get it at 135 again, based on some of his struggles lately. Uh, he had been hot for a while, but he's sort of you know, petered out here a little bit. Like I said, lost three out of five now, but I think um, this is an interesting move for him. Yeah, well, that's just it, right? And he'll never come out and say it because he has to have the illusion of impartiality, but I can guarantee you Dana White wants Cody Garrett to win this fight for, for sure. the reasons that you just laid that out, right? Like there's only so many times you can keep trotting out the same, like we're up to almost like a quadrology now. Like we're, we're beyond trilogy at this point here yep. between the upper echelon of that weight class. So, but I, I echo everything that you just said. You're bang on in the sense that Cody Garrett has been taking some, big time knockouts like yeah. these aren't just oh the ref stepped in and kind of stopped the fight like he's been lost full-on lost consciousness a couple of times right. in the last couple of fights you go and you cut further weight i mean dana white's probably pushing this for his own objective <laughs> cody garbrandt's doctor is probably saying like what the hell are you thinking <laughs> dropping even more weight here but that's really is going to be an interesting one and it's going to be I I don't have a good feel for this fight because we haven't seen the dominating Cody Garbrandt of old where he's just manhandling competition, right? He's, he's pointing at his opponents on the ring floor. Like he's just having his way with them. And that, that certainly hasn't been the case the last handful of fights that he's gone out there. So he's the betting favorite right now, but not by much. And you look at these two fighters, I think they're probably more evenly matched than maybe their star power name brand appeal would suggest. Yeah, and I think this is going to be, I think that's a great point. I think what you're going to see here is basically, you know, Cody Garbrandt's career is on the line, right? He's either going to establish himself here at 125 and, you know, successfully make the cut. I saw an interview with Dana um, earlier on today, and he was saying that, you know, 
Garbrandt's telling him, oh, I feel great. I should have done this a long time ago. We'll see <laughs> once you get in and make the cut and start, uh, you know, getting punched in the head with no water left in your body. Uh, we'll see how that feels for you. But I just think it's a, you know, it's a statement fight for him. It's it's establish yourself here or, you know, you're probably going to tumble pretty hard and, and maybe fall right out within uh within not too long. And, you know, Kai Kara France is not a guy I know a ton about, but he's, um, his first two fights in the UFC, one was a split, uh, they were losses, but one was a split decision. And, you know, he's got three wins since then. So he's not a joke either, right? Like this is going to be an interesting one. And if you were going to force me to bet here, I, yeah, I, I don't know that I see Garbrandt as the favorite. I, I think I might lean towards Kara France here. Yeah, I, I definitely would kind of be in the camp of more of a pick than one yes. of them clearly being a, a betting favorite here. I mean, you look at Garbrandt, he's been around for so long that you think like, ah, oh, he's got to be coming towards the tail end of his career. He's only 30 years old though, right? right? So he's, he's not like he's this guy who's a corpse that just keeps trotting himself out there, but it's the amount of punishment he has yes. taken in the last couple of fights. And you know, you, you get knocked out and a few more concussions and, you know, that jaw only gets looser. It's not like uh, <laughs> you become more knockout resistant the older you get. So it, it's tough. But yeah, I mean, Kai Kara France has a real opportunity here because, yeah, he's, he's put together a couple of wins, but have any of them really had a huge name to them? Not yeah, really. Right. So th this would probably launch him into that title conversation just as much as it would launch Cody. Now, Cody would probably get, I would have to assume, an instant shot because he's already coming in at number seven. You beat the number six guy. Right. You're already knocking on the door of the top five, and we, we've already seen the, the same dog and pony show for the belt go on for quite a few times here. Does Kai Kara France get an instant title shot, or does he have maybe one more fight that he's got to go out and do before he gets that shot? Right. Yeah, I guess it depends on whether they're, you know, interesting. Like Cody, like you said, he gets the shot because of his name, because of where he's been, and you know they badly need the the star power to to get in there. Kara France may may have to take a slightly longer road. We'll uh, we'll see what that looks like. There's a featured bout here at welterweight which, uh, I don't know, it looks interesting just because I think there's a chance for some fireworks here. It's Hands of Steel, Jeff Neal versus uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio. I've been working on that name all day. Um, it's a mouthful. <laughs> but um, this one could be fun just because Ponzinibbio is sort of a guy who's not afraid to... Like, he, he gets wild, and he'll come at you in kind of a... He'll make the fight, fight chaotic and, and really sort of push things, whereas Jeff Neal is a little calmer, and I don't think he's going to be overwhelmed. I don't think he's going to allow that chaos to get to him, but, but you know, there may be a chance here that this might be the, the, the one that, uh, you know, on the main card that sees the most, you know, traded blows, the, the really big fireworks... Um, could be in this one because I think Pontinibio is going to come in and come at him really hard and just try and make, you know, let's just trade shots and see what happens here. Yeah, and, and good for you for even taking a stab at that last name. I, I have pronunciation <laughs> dyslexia, so uh, I'm just going to call him Santiago. I'm cool. just going to say first names here. But, I mean, anytime you, you come in with your nickname being the Argentine Dagger, like, like right away, you know, kudos to you. And I mean, it Sounds like a shot you do at a terrible club back in college. <laughs> Yeah, your options are Florida tracksuit or the Argentinian dagger right now for tonight. But, I mean, he's, he is just like you described. He's wild. He's going to come out. He, he's going to try and overwhelm you in the early part of that fight. Jeff Neal, again, he's not one to really push the pace too much, at least in the last couple of fights that I've seen of him. Mm -hmm. But he is rock solid. So he's he's a veteran. He's been there. He's seen a lot of things. So I, I doubt that he gets overwhelmed at the beginning. But you never know when you just have fists of fury coming at you from all sorts of weird angles. Like he's certainly not an orthodox boxer. They're, right. they're coming in from weird, weird trajectories and whatnot. So... He could get clipped, and if he rocks him, it could either be over early or, like you say, has fight of the night potential because it's just a slugfest for three rounds. Yeah, I don't see this one going the distance. I think we're going to see a winner in this one for sure. Mm -hmm. um, let's move into the two main events here because these are the money fights. These are where the big names are. And um, 
you know, we'll start with the the flyweight. Uh, is it flyweight or bantamweight now? Which of her belts is she getting? Here? She's defending the bantamweight. Right. Okay. The uh, bantamweight title as uh, Amanda Nunez, a double champ, the only one um, who has ever successfully defended the title after winning her second one. I guess lots of guys mm-hmm. or lots of people have won two titles, but it gets hard after that to defend them. So she's a monster, well regarded as the you know probably the best pound for pound fighter um, in the women's you know, at any weight class. So, um, her other title she's held for over five years, which is incredible. Almost nobody gets to do that. Uh, taking on Juliana Pena, who God love you. Um, you know, <laughs> you're the corpse who's being, it's an old Simpsons line when, uh, Dredrick Tatum's getting out of prison and Mo asks who's donating his corpse for that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's Juliana Pena right now, and and she's doing a lot of talking, and and she probably has to be, and she's got Shale Sonnen kind of mouthpiece and for now too that you know maybe no one's ever gotten Amanda you know down properly and and taken her back like there just I guess there's ways you try and tell yourself you can do this and try and get in her head and and sell the reasons that you know you maybe are the one who can dethrone the champion, but Amanda Nunez coming in as a minus 900 betting favorite. It's, it's pretty prohibitive. Um, I don't like Juliana Pena's chances, but do you see something there that, you know, if she's going to be successful, how can she make this interesting? Well, let's put it this way, right? She's coming in at a minus 900 favorite for a reason. For, forget women's weight classes. I, I'll put Amanda Nunez up there as the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. I'll, I'll happily say that, man or woman. Right. But when you're looking at Juliana Pena, whether it's in her pre-fight interviews, whether it's you know the UFC Unwrapped or all those like title road to the belt like pre-show things that sure. they've got going on here, like you said, she's doing a lot of talking how much of it she believes or not is kind of up for debate, but she's certainly doing a good job of at least putting the air of confidence out there, which is more than some of Amanda Nunez's opponents have done, right? Like some of them have looked genuinely terrified to be in the ring with yes. her. I, I don't think and rightfully is, so. Exactly. Right. I would be terrified to be in a ring with yes. her as well too. So it, it's, kind of interesting from that point but I, I mean really at the end of the day if she's gonna win it would be right up there as far as shocking victories just mm-hmm. like when holly Holm beat ronda rousey right, right? Like, it would be that level of all right everyone thinks that all right she's just gonna be an, another lamb to the slaughter here and oh my god what what did we just watch what just happened type thing right yeah. you gotta figure nunez new mother She's been defending one belt for five years. She's a champ champ. She just got over COVID not that long ago. Like this was a fight that was supposed to happen. I think back in the summer or something. And then COVID happened and it got pushed or whatever. But so you got to wonder how much that fire is still burning, right? At a certain point, you can only be dominant for so long before, you know, other things maybe outside of fighting start taking over and in her last fight there there was a brief moment where she uh, again she dominated the fight but there was a brief moment where she looked a little winded a little bit like non-Nunez like yeah so it'll be interesting to see all right is that oh she's now got a little bit of chink in that armor and she's getting older and there's only so many times you can do this in the fight game before you do start losing a step or was it just that was a one-time blip, and she's going to go out there and maul her in a minute and 30 seconds. Right. I have no idea. But, yeah, again, if I'm betting my mortgage or my firstborn <laughs> child on this, I'm taking Nunez all day. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, anytime you get in there, there's always a chance somebody gets caught, right, or, you know, and rattled. And, and that's where those holy shit moments do come from uh, occasionally. But, yeah, this is – you take Nunez all day. Uh, the only question is how long. Is this one of the ones that she just runs right over somebody in the first round or – uh, can Pena make this interesting for a bit? You did men- ren- uh, mention there that, you know, a couple things that Nunez has been through. Maybe, maybe if you can take Nunez to the ground and just hang on long enough, maybe when you drag her out into the deep water, the fourth or fifth round, maybe Pena can make it interesting. And, and But I don't know. How quick do you think this one goes? Is this a, a complete, like, first round domination or is she at least going to make it interesting for a bit? 
You know what? I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say Nunez finishes her, but in the second round. I okay. think it's going to be one of those ones where Nunez is clearly in control. Maybe in the beginning, Pena kind of comes out and lands a punch or two or something. And we think, oh, my God, what, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. uh, quickly stems the tide and, you know, those championship pedigree of uh, Amanda Nunez is going to take over. But maybe she holds on long enough to uh, get to round two. Like in the same Simpsons episode, what what is the, the famous uh, Dredrick Tatum's manager's quote there? Like, the fights never last long enough for people to even get drunk. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> maybe you can at least get a couple sips into you in this one, or if you're you know, uh, at least a beer or something before... Uh, before she gets you, fustigated. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, interesting question, though, that I would love to get your take on here. I'm flipping the script. I'm asking the question. All right, I'll allow here. it, yeah. <laughs> but let's just say, like, uh, Nunez wins this. H how much longer do you realistically see her defending both belts? Because I, I don't think she's thinking of retirement necessarily at any time soon. But like we mentioned earlier, she's the only one who's really defended two different weight classes. And at a certain point, it's like, oh, do I really want to cut, keep cutting down to that lower weight class? Or I'm getting older, you know, I, I'd rather just defend one of these belts here and I'll relinquish it. Like, is this something that's sustainable for a couple more years? Or do you think, nah, maybe within the next 365 days, she gives one of them up? Yeah, because it's a good question because that is part of it, right? That to cut down to that flyweight gets harder as you go as well. And uh, she's she's always been able to do it, but it it doesn't get easier because she's, you know, for her frame, like she's a big woman, right? For 135. Mm -hmm. And I say that with all due respect. I, it's, that's not normally a phrase you throw around lightly, but in the fight game, I think it's okay. I think uh, she would take that as a compliment, actually. Right. So, you know, I, maybe that is part of it, that the, the cut gets a little harder and she's happier to just do one. I think ultimately, yeah, if we don't see somebody coming pretty soon in one of these weight classes, probably the lighter one that, that you know, interests her or that's a money fight. Um, it's probably not worth it. I mean, and, cause all the, how long do you just want to keep playing with your food as well? Right? Like yeah. if you're just going to keep showing up and cleaning everybody out, yeah, you're building a hell of a legacy, but you're already well regarded. As you said, as one of the best ever, uh, I don't know what's left to prove the, the fight that you could always go back to, although Dana doesn't seem all that interested is to, uh, to face Shevchenko again, but you've mm -hmm. done it twice and that's a hard fight for Shevchenko, right? She's got a smaller build to her and, um, you know, she's always going to be at the disadvantage there. I think technically she's every bit as good as Amanda, but there's some sort of killer instinct there or something that's different that she's not quite on the same. But in terms of money fights for Nunez right now, that's probably the only one left and they've done it twice. And, you know, do you want to hurt Shevchenko by having her get smashed again too, if that's what happens? Um, yeah, I don't know what's left for, uh, for Nunez. And especially, like you said, now as a mother and everything, if she looks down the road and doesn't see like big money fights or like really challenging opponents that interest her, it, maybe it's not a question of one division. Maybe you just kind of go, you know, I'm maybe I'm done for a while. Maybe she yeah. hangs him up completely. Yeah. Well, that, that's just it too, right? Is as you said, the, when you've cleared out not just one but two weight classes already. Yeah. What what new mountains are there left to climb? So uh, I kind of agree, especially the fact that she is a new mother, you know, got a young family at home. And uh, as someone who has lost many hours of sleep at night due to uh, multiple wake ups through the evening and midnight feeds and all of that. That's the scotch I, here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But uh, yeah, it, it, it will get tiring for sure. And the older you get, like how many more years of counting every calorie and okay, I, I'm on veggies only right now or right. broiled chicken breast or whatever right now do you really want to do? So I, I, the only way I sort of see her continuing to hold two belts for longer than maybe another year mm -hmm. is if the UFC creates a new weight class altogether and brings in a new belt that she can go out and become the first women's champion at that weight class or something like that and maybe take on some new challenger she's never even had an opportunity at fighting right. because that weight class didn't exist prior to that in the UFC. Become a triple champ. Yeah, that, that, and there you go, right? And maybe that's her, her way out too, is I've climbed every mountain. I, you know, I'm easily the pound-for-pound pound women's goat. I'm in the conversation for greatest of all time, regardless of gender here as well too. Yep. If I can become the first ever triple champ, let's go, let's win that belt, and now I'll retire and call it a career. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting story to follow because, you know, especially if she does. And like you say, we're, we're kind of talking right past Juliana Pena here. But I mean, that's what everybody's <laughs> expecting is for her to just get rolled like everyone else has here recently. But um, yeah, like you said, there's there might just not be that much left interesting right now. So maybe we do need some changes around the uh, around the organization in general that maybe would spice things up for her. Otherwise, yeah, who knows how long she wants to carry on. But uh, we got an exciting main event here. As uh, the lightweight title is on the line, it's Charles Oliveira versus Dustin Poirier, and this will be uh, Oliveira's first uh, defense of the championship. Poirier, there was talk earlier on in the year and and even before that that maybe he was in line for a title fight, especially after he cleared out Connor the first time. And then the I don't know, maybe maybe you disagree here. I'll hand this to you. It seemed like. He probably could have talked his way into a title fight after beating Connor the first time based on how things had gone, but the money was in fighting Connor again. Connor McGregor sells pay-per-views and he sells tickets. And if you are main eventing a card with Connor McGregor, you're probably going to make more than with almost anybody else, even if it is for the title. I think there was probably a business decision as much as anything else to go right back to Connor a second time there this year. A hundred percent. It was a hundred percent a business decision there, right? Like if you ask me right now to go in there and I mean, typical purse for like a, a you know, no name person is you go out there and you're lucky if you clear 50 K on the night. Right. If Dana White phoned me up tomorrow and said, Hey, will you fight, you know, fighter X, Y, Z for $50,000 tomorrow? Night? I'd be like, no, I'm not going to go <laughs> possibly get murdered in the ring for $50,000. If he told me you have to go in there and get punched by Conor McGregor till you lose consciousness. Perfect, because you know what? That there's a lot of zeros on that paycheck. Yeah, it's going to be more than that fifty grand. Exactly, it's millions. It's yeah. it's literally very very lucrative thing that you would need to fight six other opponents that aren't named Conor McGregor, right? In order to make up that fight, so it was a hundred percent a business decision. It was a smart business decision because he won both of them, right? He's kind of put that trilogy to rest, and he's also pissed off Conor enough that if he really wants to. Even yeah. after he wins this title down the line, he could still go back to Connor and say, yeah, let's make it a four. Let's run. Yeah, it, back. it was pathetic at the almost the, the end of the last one where Connor's laying there on his broken legs, still screaming at Poirier. This ain't over, man. It looks pretty over, man. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. So. Well, not, not to segue too much off of uh, Poirier and Oliver, but have you seen recent photos of McGregor? Like it, it he is beefed up huge. Really? Like it, eh? Looks like he's maybe even preparing for another weight class jump right now. Like he's like not just like putting on dirty weight of like, oh, he hasn't been hitting the gym. Like he's looking like someone he's not putting put it on like we're putting it on during the pandemic. <laughs> exactly. He's he's putting on muscle while we're putting on pints worth of uh, fat here. So it could be, eh? Because that lightweight division right now might be as tough as as it's probably the toughest division in the UFC right now. And, you know, Murderers I uh, row. absolutely. So maybe he is thinking and I go up a little bit and see what's going on at welterweight or something. I, I don't know how he'd fare there just with his size and everything, but, uh, could be, um, but to circle back to the title fight here, it's, this one is another one where I don't think you're going the distance. Um, yeah. if you look at Oliveira, um, it's actually kind of interesting that these two have never faced each other before, considering how many fights they've had, how long they've been around. But Oliveira has the UFC record for finishes, like in any way class, by any means, he's, he holds the UFC record for finishing fights. Uh, I believe he also holds the division or the uh, UFC record for um, submissions. So he's capable of getting it done one way. And then if you look down at Poirier, he holds the lightweight divisions record for knockouts. And he's actually been getting stronger and stronger at that over the last year or two and padded those stats a little bit with those Conor McGregor fights. Mm -hmm. But um, there's going to be fireworks here. I don't like the odds of this one going 25 minutes either. You got two guys who like to finish fights, know how to finish fights. Uh, in different ways. Um, man, it's going to be an intriguing main event. What do you think of this one? This, I, I'm very excited about this fight for a multitude of reasons. Number one, I actually genuinely love both fighters right. going into it. Normally, I have a rooting interest as far as like, uh, I don't really like so-and-so. I really hope this guy wins here or this girl wins. Not with this one. I, I would be perfectly happy with either one of these fighters getting their hand raised at the end of this bout. 
and they are both so skilled at what they do. It's very, very rare that you get both fighters, like you just said, they've yet to actually cross paths. I, I would say that they're crossing paths at the absolute peaks of their careers. Yes. So you are getting the best version of Dustin Poirier. You are getting the best version of Oliveira walking into that ring. And yeah, I, I, I can't see any scenario where this doesn't end with someone tapping out or someone being knocked out here. I would be shocked if it went all five rounds and went to the judge's decision. But They have uh, Poirier listed as the favorite. Do you agree with that? That that's where it's really tough, right? Like, there's so many fighters, as you mentioned before, at that lightweight division that are so close. Like, we are talking about fractions of differences between them, right? Mm. These two, you've got Chandler, you've got Gaethje, you've got a couple of Habib's boys coming up that Habib is trying to get title shots for. Yeah. All of a sudden, here, like the the 155 weight class is the class of the UFC right now, as far as from top to bottom, like the their 10th ranked fighter is head and shoulders technically above maybe even the third ranked fighter in some of the other weight classes, as far as what they can do in the octagon. It's true, yeah. Dustin Poirier coming in as a favorite. It's hard to argue it. It's also hard to argue the champion not being favored, especially mm. when it's a champion who is not like, ah, well, that was kind of a fluke win. Like, uh, you know, maybe if it, like, it was a Jan Sterling type thing where it's like, well, Peter Jan was kind of caving his head in there, but then <laughs> lost his mind and yes. lost the belt. I could see him being <laughs> the favorite there, sure. right? Like, Oliveira took care of business. Yeah, against finished Michael Chandler, right? A fairly convincing fashion. Yeah. And so, I mean... It's not like he's coming in an overwhelming favorite. He's minus 160. Oliveira's a plus 140. So kind of close, especially when you figure it was a minus 900 and plus 600 <laughs> title fight, the fight right before him there. But again, this is this is as close to a pick em fight to me as there is on that entire card, right? Like I already said it with Cody being kind of closer to a pick there as well, too. Mm -hmm. I, I truly think that this one could go either way. Gun to my head. I'm going to say... Uh, I'm going to say Dustin wins it. I'm going to say Dustin wins it in the fourth round uh, by TKO. Let me ask you this, and it's just a theory, but... There had been some talk when McGregor came back, especially the first time around with uh, with Poirier, or I guess technically the second in the trilogy, but the first in this most recent series, that maybe he'd gotten a little soft with the uh, the fact that he'd been away doing other things, and he's got his uh, whiskey company, and you know he's he's doing the things that you do when you become a big celebrity, maybe more than the things you do when you're still right in the you know, the thick of your MMA career. And there's an old expression. It's an old boxer. I can't remember now. That's it's hard to get up at 5 a.m. to run when you're sleeping in silk sheets. Right. Yeah. And so with that in mind, if Connor wasn't what he once was, can we extrapolate that maybe Poirier's two victories, like, is he about to get shocked by facing Charles Oliveira because Connor wasn't, everything we thought he was and thus maybe we can't read as much into Dustin as we thought we could based on those wins. Like, do you know what I'm driving at? Is this going to be a bit of a culture shock for Poirier, do you think? Or was McGregor still legit enough that, you know, you go, okay, no, that he's still one of the best ever. Yeah. Well, let's call a spade a spade here. Conor McGregor right now is not the Conor McGregor that flash knocked out Aldo and shocked the world and announced that he was on the scene. Right. right. He's definitely, I wouldn't say past his prime, but certainly, as you alluded to, not the same motivated up-and-coming fighter who had been living off food stamps and whatnot for most of his life. So there's definitely that factor, but he, you compare McGregor to some of the other options that are out there, like he would be in any other weight class. Uh, easily still a top five fighter if, if you just added on some weight to him or subtracted some weight to him. So right. Technically, he's still there. So it's not like he's out there fighting Chuck Liddell at age <laughs> whatever the hell he is now. Like on these thriller cards or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's not Tito Ortiz against Chuck Liddell version 4.0 when or neither Jake one of Paul them or some <laughs> shit. <Yeah. laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, I, I get what you're getting at here, but at the same time, too, 
I just point towards the fact that this is for a belt. Right. So there's a difference between, you know, Dustin Poirier having a chance at becoming UFC lightweight champion versus this being a, oh, well, he's, you know, just a Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. If I win this, then maybe I'm sort of that next shot. I would be more scared about there being that culture shock factor if there wasn't a belt on the line. Like, I, I, I figure Poirier you know, understands the assignment here. Like right. he, he's been around long enough that he knows that Oliveira is no joke, that if he slips up even once, just like Chandler did, right? Chandler yeah. came out flying in that fight and we we're like, oh my God, is Michael Chandler going to end up being champion here? And then Oliveira put him away. Like I, I'm pretty sure Poirier is a savvy enough veteran that he gets what is at stake here. And maybe had it been another fight where there wasn't gold on the line, I would be a little bit more worried. But I, I'm not too concerned about that. Yeah, it, it would just be hard to know, right? Which Connor did I just face, and thus how big of a step up am I about to encounter? It's a, it's just a theory. It's just been rolling around in my head. I do believe Dustin Poirier is legit. He's earned a shot at the title. Um, and you know what? I don't have a problem with either of these guys. Like you said, they're both kind of likable dudes. It would just seem to me at this point like, Poirier's had the career that he's had it would feel like he's missing something or if he doesn't at some point hold the belt even if it's not for long right like Oliveira's holding it right now you'd hate to see him lose it in one fight at least you could say he held it though whereas Poirier mm -hmm. doesn't have that yet so if I do have a rooting interest I think it would be with with Poirier I think there was a little bit of I was happy to see Connor come back because the you, you know they feel like big cards when uh, Conor McGregor is on them. But at the same time, I was sort of pulling for Poirier to like show him, you know, this is still legit. And if you're, if you're in, you're in, right? If, or otherwise get the hell out of here because there are guys who are uh, sharks in that division at this point. So I was happy to see him dispatch McGregor and I'll be happy to, I think, see him do it this time. I'm going to ride with, uh, with Poirier as well. I, but I think in the third round, um, one way or another, actually, I think this gets finished in the third round. I think the first round, you might see these guys trying to feel each out, uh, feel each other out a little bit, might be a little tentative, maybe not a ton of action early in the first round. Uh, and then things kind of pick up in the second. And, and then I expect maybe, uh, some sort of explosion in the third where somebody's getting finished in the, in the third round, but I, I believe it'll be Poirier. I hope it's Poirier and that's who I'll be pulling for as well. Yeah, and when I had you on our show, we were talking about, you know, UFC Hall of Famers and sort of what that cutoff was mm -hmm. and whatnot. So let's let's just go down the rabbit hole a little bit here. Let's say Poirier does win the belt. Based on the career, the body of work he's already got, you mentioned he's already got a couple of records as well too. In your mind, how many title defenses does he have to do to be like, you know what, he's a first ballot UFC Hall of Famer, or is he already there? Or do you think like, you know, he's missing a little bit too much on his resume to seriously be considered there? Uh, what's the record right now? I think he's at, uh, what's he got? Four losses, six losses, something like that. Um, I'm trying to, I don't know that I have it here in my notes, but uh I think he's one of those guys that's been around long enough. If he gets a, to me, just winning the title won't be enough. But if he could rip off even just two or three defenses after the career he's already had, especially because we've already acknowledged how tough this division is mm -hmm. um, and the, some of the names that he's going to have to, def you know, make those successful defenses against. Um, and like you said, a couple of, uh, a couple more monsters on the way that'll be breaking into that top five here shortly. There would be tough title defenses. So I th if he could defend it two or three times on top of what he's already done, plus the McGregor trilogy, which stays in your mind because they were, you know, big for media attention, right? They were big fights. And so that kind of elevates you even a little bit more as opposed to, you know, maybe living somewhat anonymously right now in that middleweight division, right? Or something like that where there's not a ton of star power right now. Um, yeah, I think with how long he's been around and how well he's done, you throw in the McGregor rivalry and a couple of title defenses here. Uh, to me, he would probably be on that list. I, I think he would be a Hall of Famer for me. Yeah. Well, while you were talking there, I pulled it up. So he's 28 and six, yeah. one no contest. And you look at who is in the UFC Hall of Fame, that magic number for wins is kind of hovering around 35. Is it really? So okay. If he beats Oliveira, 
it'll be up to 29. Let's say he puts together, as he said, two or three title defenses there, especially in this buzzsaw of a division that mm-hmm. he's in. He's, he's now got quite a few names under his belt. He's defended the title. He wasn't just a one-and-done kind of champion there. He's now up to 32 wins. Let's say he loses it from there. He, he, very rarely after you relinquish the belt do you just flat out retire. Right. That's how these fighters are wired. So he probably gets a couple of lesser named people, gets up to 35, maybe finishes with, you know, 35 and eight, 35 and 10 kind of record. Mm-hmm. A couple title defenses, two times beating McGregor. I, I think he could get there. there. There's definitely a roadmap for him to get there, but it all starts this tonight, weekend. Yeah, or tonight, Saturday night, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it's going down tonight. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you're right, and and you've got it mapped out pretty well there, right? There is a path that could see him li- kind of land in in that neighborhood, and you know, he he just seems like one of those likable guys. He's easy to cheer for. So you kind of hope to see him he see him get that done. But man, to pull out two or three defenses in this division is is going to be tough. Even if you are the better guy, you're not blowing away anybody in this division right now who's in line for a title. Like they're going to be fight for your life kind of matchups. So, um no matter who wins it uh on Saturday night, there's a murderer's row waiting on him here. So, yeah, absolutely. So he's he's got a path, but whether he gets there or not, that's uh, that's some tough sledding, especially in this weight class. It's looking like a really interesting night of fights. Uh, I'm looking forward to this one more, honestly, more than I thought I was. When I first looked at the card, I was sort of, eh, I don't know. And then the more you sort of look at some of the matchups and some of the history and where guys have been, it's been growing on me for a week or so now, thinking this is going to be another good one in really what's been a pretty good year for the UFC. I thought it got a little quiet over the summer with some stuff that I wasn't in love with, but there was a stretch there kind of March to May, maybe February to May or June, where it seemed like every month there was two or three can't-miss fights, uh, and the fall has sort of ramped back up into that. 267 and 268 were fantastic, and I think people might be sleeping on 269 a little bit. It looks like a good one. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's going to be a very, very interesting night. You know, belts aside, it's it's a very, very good card, top to bottom. It's one of those ones where you do want to tune in and actually check out a couple of the prelim yeah. fights on the undercard and whatnot. It's not just a, uh, oh, well, you know, there there's two of these little 125-pound squirrel monkeys going at it for a... <laughs> championship belt there and the rest of the cards are dud like this is a this is a good card it's not not in the same you know ufc 200 where there was sure. like what four, four belts on the line right. or something like that but it's definitely up there and i mean we saw it during the heights of the pandemic where there weren't too many sports really going on and dana and his crew flew out to fight island yes. and we're putting on some of these stacked events Right. This one kind of has that feel of, okay, we're, we're ending the year with a bang here. And then we've got some big fights coming up in the new year as well, too. So you always want to have it sort of go that way. You don't want to limp into a new calendar year. And they, they definitely avoided it with what they've put together so far at 269. Totally agree. Uh, Kyle Skinner from Dine Sports. Tell us again where they can find the website, where they can find the podcasts. And uh, thank you so much for making some time, man. Anytime. Happy to come here, talk fights, talk sports, talk whatever. Literally just Google Dine Sports and you can get all of the uh, access to whether it's our websites and articles and content, podcasts, videos, YouTube page, all of that. There's not too many things that are called Dines out there. So we're generally the top hit. <laughs> uh, and we will throw those links in the show notes for episode 912 at tallcanaudio.com as well. So we'll make it real easy for everybody. Again, uh, really appreciate you making some time, man. And if I'm not talking to you beforehand, have an awesome holiday season. And, and thanks so much for doing this. You as well. Thanks for having me on. For Kyle Skinner, my name is Matt Robinson. We will wind this one down here. You can follow us on social media at Talkin Audio and uh, make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening right now. We will see you all again on Monday morning for the next episode of Talkin Audio. It is over. Now that's a tasty beverage. Thanks for listening. You can get more TCA at TalkinAudio.com or by searching Talkin Audio on your favorite podcast app.